I must admit, in this series of messages, this message is probably, well, it was the last message to come into the series. It was not one of those that I would, I relished the idea and longed for the idea to preach on and to share on this topic. But I would truly be doing an injustice to Scripture to start with and an injustice to you and your faith as we talk about the adversary, if we did not take a Sunday at least take some time and understand a level of spirituality that goes on in this world, very present, very real, very real to those who it's affecting, that uh, if we don't take time to talk about it. Because I, I realize even as we read this text today, and it came out so boldly and clear to me today, that the devil is not afraid to go to church. Uh, he's not afraid to go to church at all. In fact, I have a message that we'll, I'll share next week about that very thing. Uh, how the devil does go to church. But this passage, again, lends itself to the reality that the adversary is real and how he works in such a diabolical way. And uh, dealing with the concept of the demonic and how do, do we unpack that, because in America, I believe, the demonic is veiled. Uh, it's a bit veiled because of our Western intellectualism that we don't sometimes unpack it or deal with it. We just kind of mark it off as some psychological disorder and, and move on. And, but yet in much of the world, if you've traveled and studied cultures of the world, not just Africa, but all the world, you will find that there is a very, not, it's not veiled at all, it's, it, it, it is actually very transparent in much of the world that there is a demonic world out there. There are, there are forces out there. They may not call it the demonic. There, are, there is a side out there that you, you don't want to dabble in. And um, I, I told uh, my good friend Friday Ciambamba, who is with us today, uh, that I'm calling him the, the expert, and I'll explain that a little bit later on. But if I was to actually have designed this series myself to a T, and I was to come to a message such as this, and I was to say, okay, I need to have uh, somebody else to step in with me and help teach this topic. There is nobody on the planet that I would have called beyond Friday St. Bomba. And yet, at the same time, I get a call two weeks ago that he's coming to the States. He's speaking at a church in Alabama. He's never been outside uh, of, of Southern Africa. And uh, yet get on a plane and to fly. And it just, it's just an amazing thing to think that that would happen at a time that we're doing this series. And so I was at that point determined uh, that he's going to come to Grace Point, whatever it takes, and we will fit him in as to share a little bit of his life and his story because he knows firsthand and he lives in it day in and day out. He grew up in it. He knows about it. And so he will share with us in a few moments. I want to lay a bit of the groundwork. Because when you come to the demonic, we've got to understand that the demonic activity ranges everything from the ordinary to the extraordinary. It's, it's everything from just the day-to-day -day life and how he influences us in our day-to-day -day life and how he and his demonic forces influence us in our day-to-day -day life to the extraordinary of what you might see on some Hollywood movie or that you might experience in some other culture of the world or even here in America, maybe in some kind of veiled way. But it's, it, 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 he's very present and so I, I think to just show you the process or the levels of de demonic influence, I want to give you that kind of as the introduction today before I turn it over to Friday to share a little bit about his life. And that is this, is that we don't understand these levels. And so I'm going to give them to you real quickly. One is there is the opposition level. Is that simply that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He, there's this opposition level where he is coming after. Then there's the oppression level. Then it moves from the oppression level to the, the obsession. Then from the obsession to the possession. And then ultimately it ends in death. Now to break these apart and unpack them just a, just a moment, to deal with the opposition level, and that is that, that simplest way I can put it, it is the day-to-day -day warring of the flesh, warring of the world systems. We've talked about it. Since the beginning of this series, it's not just this adversary with a, with a red pitchfork that we're dealing with. We're dealing with an adversary inside of our own flesh. And unless there is the mortification of the flesh, 
the, the flesh will constantly be pulling us, pulling us to the side that is not God's side, to the dark side that, uh, that we speak of. But this is a day-to-day thing. There's just opposition in our life. You had opposition getting out of bed this morning, all right? Just the fact that it's warm and it's cold outside these sheets, the fact that it's still dark outside, why do I want to go to church today? I mean, it's a perfect sleep-in day. Outside of some rain and a little thunderclap in the background, it couldn't have designed it any better. You'll face that kind of opposition every Sunday to some level or degree. The kids wake up sick, oh, that's an excuse. Anything. Prayer. You'll face opposition if you decide that you're going to commit your life to prayer. Oh, He might let you throw up a few prayers every now and then. He might let you do it for a week or two. But He is going to put everything in your path, every possible distraction, every possible detour to get you out of praying, sharing your faith, whatever it takes. Fear, He'll just throw fear and rejection into your head. Whether it ever happens or not. That's the opposition where it comes to giving. Oh, I can't give. I, I, there's so many other things I want to do. Opposition. We deal with opposition day to day. And I said a few months, uh, a few weeks ago that if you're not dealing with this opposition, it means you're just walking in step with this opposition. So hopefully I pray for you that you are realizing that you are dealing with a diabolical, demonic adversary who has many schemes, many tricks that he can use to get us. We mentioned this verse on the first Sunday, 2 Corinthians 2.11. In order that Satan might not outwit us, we are not unaware of his schemes. So let us wake up. Let us be aware. Let us not let him outwit us, but let's be aware of the schemes and the methodologies that Satan has. But there's the oppression level. When you go from opposition, if Satan can have any length of time and his demonic forces have any length of time in your life, around your life, oppression will be there. Now I'll say this, that the oppression and opposition happens both to believers and unbelievers. Believers and unbelievers. But oppression is when, when you go through a, a season of life. And basically it's that season of life that you go through and that It may be a month, it may be a couple of weeks, it may be a couple of years to where you just absolutely feel, live defeated. Where you just can't get into any kind of win mode. When you just absolutely feel this constant pressure building around you where there's seething anger or there's sleepless nights or there's... There's, you can't control an area of your life. And it's like it, when Satan needs to push you, he'll let you be godly all around here. But when he needs to push your button, whether it's your thought life or your attitude or your words or your perspective or what, he just needs one button. He'll just push that button, push that button. And you'll go back in your prayer closet and you'll repent. Oh, God, forgive me for that. Forgive me for the, the pornography. Forgive me for my words. Forgive me. And then you go back out. And you're like, okay, okay, I've got myself together. And you go right back out into it. And you'll do it again. Oh, and you feel defeated. It's that oppression. And He just constantly is pushing your button. And it may not just be in your falling into sin. It may be just a constant nagging pressure on your life. And I said last week as I shared, I felt like for the past six months there's been an oppression about me. As I've led into this series, there's been an oppression about my life and my heart to stay focused and to stay on track. There's probably no better biblical example of this than Job. Job was a godly man, yet in that godliness there was a season of life where he lost it all. And you don't want to live in that oppression, but you can really do nothing about it. And the the oppression that you may go through will either make you stronger or it will break you. Make you stronger or it will break you. So you might be right now be living in a season of oppression. Are you getting stronger or are you broken? Are you falling? Are you stumbling? Be aware of it. But then it moves to another level. And this is where it gets really dangerous. And that's obsession. Whenever the darkness of this world becomes more intriguing than the light of Christ, and the whole studying of the adversary just piques your interest, and you'd rather study that than study the light, then that's a scary part. This is where he's now turned it from a 
from a, an evil dark side that we are warring against to an intriguing education that we want to become experts in. It may start there. Where we literally go into it and we dabble in the spiritisms of this world, the many manifestations of the spiritism of this world, the medians and the, the occults, Wicca. You can list out so many different manifestations in ways that we can become obsessed in the spiritism of the world. Spiritism is very, very much a growing part of Spirituality is very much a, part, a growing part of our culture today. So this is an element. Because what it will do is it will look like an angel. It will sound like an angel. It will make you feel like an angel. But is it an angel of light or of darkness? Or an angel of darkness appearing as an angel of light? I'm very skeptical when you read and you go to Barnes and Noble and you look up angelic or you go to any online bookstore and you find books on the angelic and how very few references to solid biblical teaching are found there. I warn you. I warn you. That is a masquerade. That is a masking of spirituality that is really not healthy at all. And in Zambia, there's probably, it's built into the DNA, it's built into the culture. A Tonga will pray to his Mzimu, which is his dead ancestors. And as you're talking with them in the village, you're dealing with people who are daily praying and offering sacrifices to their Mzimu, that, that they would honor them. They'll even name their children for, for, for future generations after their ancestors, because if they ever stop naming their ancestors, their children after, uh, after their ancestors, then their ancestor will come back and haunt them. And they live in this terror and this fear. You think, oh, that's psychosomatic. <laughs> until you live there, until you've experienced that, you'll realize it's not psychosomatic. Again, it's a masquerading of a spirituality that is not healthy. And it's very much a very real thing. And we can easily be sucked in, even from our church pews and seats. Saul, who was supposedly a follower of Yahweh, a follower of God, the king of the nation of Israel, God's people. I mean, how much more can you be at the center of God? Listen to this statement from 1 Chronicles 10, 13, and 14. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke the faith with the Lord that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom, of, uh, the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. This is a very real thing that we must be very conscious of and God doesn't mess around here. Another passage just to show you how God takes this serious is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 to 12. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or sorcerers or a charm or a median or uh, uh, that word uh, or, or one who inquires of the dead. I think that's what that word does. All right. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. God doesn't mess around with mediums. God doesn't mess around with with fortune tellers. God doesn't mess around with that, that masquerading spirituality that is out there. It becomes an obsession. And so I bring people back. When I was in Africa, I would say, what spirit are you, are you calling on? They would name the spirit. I would refer them to the Scriptures that there's only one good spirit. Only one good spirit ever mentioned in Scripture. It's the Holy Spirit. I said, and the way you know the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit is sent to you by Jesus. Jesus is that one mediator between us and God. So if you're not praying to Jesus, you're not praying to God. Who are you praying to? Simple process of elimination. Who are you obsessed with? Is it Jesus? If it's not Jesus, then who are you obsessed with? Because it isn't God. It's a masquerade that's going on out there. But I want to leave you to another one. Another level up from obsession would be possession. Some people don't like this word possession. Those who deal with this, they like the word demonize because a possession seems like you absolutely have no control. But a person who's been possessed of evil spirits is a person who has absolute control over their life on the outside. 
from some appearances. When you're in casual conversation with them. But whenever the demonic decides to take over, it has free reign. Now, up until this point, a believer could easily be sucked into obsession, to oppression, to all of that. But I do not believe that the Holy Spirit can dwell within me and the spirit of darkness dwell within me. What does light have with darkness, the Bible says. So I do not believe that they can dwell simultaneously. Either I am filled by the Holy Spirit or I am susceptible. I'm not saying everybody who's not filled with the Holy Spirit is demon-possessed, but I am susceptible to being possessed by something beyond me. And the thing is, is that if I live in this oppression, if I live in this obsession, it can easily open the door. That's why I warn people, don't go pick up those books necessarily. You need to do research before you dive into that. Opens up the door for the possession to come in. And that's when it gets really dangerous and ugly. And if you don't think this is real, it's very real from Jesus' perspective. In fact, four of the 13 miracles in the Gospel of Mark, four of the 13 miracles dealt with exorcism alone. Not all the other demonic activity, just in exorcism. Not in all the parables that he dealt with or the teachings that he dealt with, just in exorcism. It's the largest single category of healings that he did in the Gospel of Mark. So it is real. Now, in our Western culture, it is veiled. But in the rest of the world, it is very real. I'm not saying he's not here. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm not saying that we don't need to open our eyes to the reality. The reality is he is there, but he is veiling it, masquerading it as some other form. And I know people, I told you my my experience in high school, of people that are possessed. Now, I would not suggest you going around and saying, you're possessed, you're possessed, you're possessed. That's not a way to make friends and influence people. Mark chapter 1 is where we'll read today. It's a short story. Mark's, all of Mark's writings are very short. In fact, Mark is kind of the, the template that all the other Gospels are written off of. And so he gives those little short stories and then they're developed in Luke or Matthew or so forth. But as you look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to be dealing with Jesus as he's in Capernaum. Capernaum was in Galilee. Jesus did about half of his ministry, worked about half of his ministry in Galilee, and about half of that was spent in Capernaum. It's a very important, pivotal city in Jesus' ministry as it really launches and takes off. And as he comes to the synagogue, which again is a common place where people would gather, worshipers of God would gather, And Jesus encounters a demon-possessed man in the synagogue. Beware, Satan does go to church. So here we pick up the story in verse 21. He says, And he went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes. What an insult on the scribes. I mean, this, Jesus, when he taught, there was clarity, there was authority, there was conviction. There was, it was as if God was speaking, and he was. So it was a beautiful time. It was a powerful moment. And immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Now, his spirit was unclean. Now, we'll understand here in a moment that it wasn't saying that there was just one unclean spirit. There was actually more. But his spirit was unclean. It was defiled. It was not right. It was full of something else. And he cried out. The spirit inside of him cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you to come destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. I love what Jesus does here. He doesn't hold up a cross, a crucifix inside the man. You see in Hollywood. He doesn't throw some holy water on him. He doesn't run and hide. He rebukes him. It's like, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him, crying out loud with a voice, came out of him. And they were amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits. And they obey Him. I want us to understand three very quick points today as I invite Friday to come and share in a moment. One point, number one, is it will always understand that this is a message that I'm preaching today from Satan, from demons. So I'm sharing to you a message from the demons because the demons here are speaking out. 
What did they say about Jesus? The first thing is that Jesus had authority over the demonic. They said, what have you to do with us? So at this point, they're now stepping in line knowing that Jesus is the authority. What are you going to do with us? What do you have to do with us? What, how do you want us to answer to you? And I want you to notice the plurality factor of this. That evidently there may have been this man possessed with multiple demons. Because they said us. It wasn't just what do you want to do with me? What are you going to do with us? And so there's an element going on there. We don't just see that here in Scripture. We see this in other passages of Scripture. In Mark chapter 5, when Jesus gets out of the boat and He goes into, uh, uh, goes into the hill country uh, of the Gersenes, and as He goes there and He in, interacts with the people, and, and all of a sudden there's this man who's full of demons, and He says, what is your name? And, and Jesus, and, and the man, or the demon inside the man, replies back, we are legion. We don't have one name. We're legion. Now, legion in the Roman army was the highest unit of measurement in the Roman soldiers. So they recognized themselves as soldiers, but how many would be in a legion of soldiers? 6,000. So this man could possibly have been being influenced, possibly up to 6,000 demonic forces. That's powerful. This man had no control. This man was absolutely possessed many demons inside of him. But I want you to see clearly that there is an authority factor. And the authority factor is that they, all demons, must answer and give answer to Jesus. The second truth that I want you to hear from the mouth of the demons is that Jesus will conquer the demonic. You Have you come to destroy us? Are you here to obliterate us? Are you here to get rid of us? See, the demons know something. The demons know that their ultimate, ultimate destiny is a place called hell. And I mentioned it on the very first Sunday that hell was never designed for mankind. It was designed for the angels, the fallen angels, the demonic Satan. And if you read 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. I can tell you this right now. Demons only win when we allow them to win. That they are defeated and Jesus has conquered them and they must answer to Him Because in a matter of one simple sentence, Jesus says, be gone, and they're gone. There wasn't some long exorcism kind of process that went through. They merely have to answer to Jesus. Give them no room. They even began to speak, and He told them to shut up. So there is an authority that we have to live as a conqueror and not be conquered. But I want you to see this last point as Friday prepares to come. And that is that Jesus is God. They knew that. They declared that. There was no ambiguity about that. Isn't it funny in our world and day and age of communism and secular humanism that we debate over the deity of Christ? Yet the demons don't. They know who Jesus is. That's one of the lies. That's one of the bait and switches that's going on in our, in our culture, in our world today. There's, there's no ambiguity. They said, you are the Holy One of God. They declared that. It's from the mouth of demons declaring that Jesus is the Holy One of God. That is an amazing declaration. James chapter 2, verse 19 says, You believe that there is, there is a God, God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. You see, the, the reality of a demon is that they are under the authority. They can only do what, what God allows them to do and what we allow them to do. They are conquered. They will be defeated ultimately. But will they pull us down with them? So here's another statement. Is they believe in Jesus. Do we? Again, I can't think of a better person to have come share at this point than Friday Cienbamba. Friday is one of my dearest friends on, on the planet. And 
I went to Africa to train pastors to be on mission with God. And I think he trains me instead. He challenges and grows me. And as Friday was, was, was there, he was reminding me even last night as we were reviewing a lot of our life stories there from our four years in ministry together that, that of a village that we went to, and I was the first white person to ever go to this village. They were, children ran from me. Uh, for fear of my skin. Uh, they used to ask, where would you get your white skin? And, uh, are your children white? Is your wife white? And all that kind of stuff. So it was, a, it was a totally totally different paradigm, if you will, for them. But the very first day we were there, he reminded me of the story. When we went to the headman's house of the village, and when we went there, they stopped us, which is very uncustomary. They stopped us from coming into their courtyard and for a few moments because there was a lady there. Uh, of, the, of, of another village with her husband. And she ran and hid from us, not for fear of my white skin, pale face that I may be, but actually because the demons inside of her said, if you go to hear that white man, we will kill you. And one of the things we've got to understand is that Satan's ultimate goal is death. Ultimate goal is death. And that we must know life and bring life to the world. Would you give Friday Simbamba a Northwest Arkansas welcome? Friday, would you come share with us? Today? Good morning. I bring greetings from uh, the church in Zambia and my wife, Messalina. Uh, thank you, Brother Mike, for according me the time to speak to uh, the people this morning in the church. I wish you could uh, understand what uh, I am trying to, to bring to talk to you because my English is limited. I've never had the opportunity to go to go to school to, to, to learn more. I met Mike uh, uh, about 13 years ago, I think. Uh, that was 1999. And God blessed my life through this man. I, I was brought up in a, uh, a family. My mother and my father did not know God. They did not worship God. I'm the first born uh, in the family, a very big family, because my father has uh, 17 children with two wives. And my mother is the fi first wife. Um, both my, my father and mother, two mo my, my other mother, they are still uh, living there. there. And all my brothers and sisters are still living. In our home, we did not own the Bible. Uh, they did not talk about God who created the universe. Nothing like that. So I was just uh, uh, going through what Mike was uh, teaching. And from the passage he, he, he read in chapter 1 of Mark, you know, these people were astonished and they were asking themselves to say, what a new doctrine is this? What a new teaching is this? When he was talking about the demons. You know, uh, maybe it's because I'm talking in English and you, you, you speak English, but back home, People, when you talk about demons, maybe they cannot uh, understand. But when you talk about spirits, they'll understand. Because they, they know they are spirits. And they know they are controlled with spirits. They know this one can have uh, that spirit and I have this spirit. They know this family can have that spirit and they have this spirit. 
And uh, I am the firstborn, a son to my father. My father has uh, brothers and sisters. And my mother has brothers and sisters. I was qualifying to be someone who would offer sacrifice for the family. And when it was now time for rain season, people would go to a place called Sherin to just go there, pray, offer sacrifice, that their God would send rains. And our, the God we used in our village, because some people, even this time, they still do that. They pray to Snabler, the God who gives rains. I know you live different. You cannot understand all this. But the adversary, the enemy is there working. Everywhere. Maybe coming to people in different ways. But, you know, these people cannot look to God for rains. They will look to Snabler. And our family, each family would maybe choose someone, name Someone, after someone who died, when the child is sick, when problems come in the family, they will ask for help. They will pray to this spirit for protection. If the ch- children are sick in a home, they will ask them for, for help from this spirit. They will brew beer, uh, Give every member, you all, you all come together, give every member a cup, just one cup in one cup to drink from that uh, cup, just a little. And maybe uh, someone is offering the, 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 the sacrifice will be the last to drink and you pray to the spirits and you spit that beer everywhere. Help us, help our children, uh, you know, praying to the spirits. And things like that, they are happening. Because uh, demons are real. It's not a new doctrine. It's not about the culture. It's not about the customs. It's not about what one believes and the other doesn't believe. I can say that just because now this time I can see it from the Bible. I can no, make a difference. Know that this is the working of the devil and this is uh, God's power. Uh, my mother and father, as I said, did not go to church. We didn't own the Bible in our home. There was no church nearby. I grew up in that family. In that area. I went to a primary school just nearby, about three hours walk to, to, the, to the school. So I went to a secondary school uh, in another district. I didn't go to any other school. That was the last school I went to because my parents could not pay for um, my education. But uh, you see, uh, I married from that village and God blessed us with children. I have, we have six children. There were seven. My girl died when she was 10, that was in 1999, the first girl, she was the fourth born. And when, he, when she died, I went to a place uh, where there was a clinic nearby, a small clinic. My, my other sister was working in that, that clinic. Uh, my, my, my cousin, because we call them sister, my my uncle, the brother to my father, you know, he had his daughter, and I was working in that, that clinic. 
So I went to look for employment because there was a small mine there, a Mathurst mine. So I found there was a, a, a small Baptist church they were meeting in a classroom. When I went there, I started going to uh, that Baptist church. So just to find that, you know, people were, could come together, sing, and pray to God. Read from the Bible, teach uh, the way of God. Uh, everything was new to me uh, because... Uh, I, could, uh, you know, I was able to meet different people there, and uh, there was uh, uh, the choir singing. Uh, they sing differently. This is what, this was beautiful, you know. They don't uh, sing the way you singing. That it was beautiful, but they sing differently. But they could meet together and, uh, and sing, and uh, you know, God was it's just so good. In that the same year, the same after two months when I I went to that place, the missionary came to that church. And um, because most of the people in Zambia we have uh, 72 uh, tribes, uh, people uh, speak uh, different languages, but. Uh, uh, maybe others who go to the city, they, can, they are able to understand many, uh, more than one language you can understand, because there they are a lot of different tribes there. But in this area where I went, uh, the pastor was not from that area, because that area, they did not believe God. So this man came from another district, he, was just, you know, he just came, he was working there, and he introduced the crust to people he, brought people together, and the majority of the people uh, were Tonga, and that man was a Bemba. So, uh, now, because I'm Tonga, and our Tonga people could not understand the Bemba, so this man, after, you know, he was discipling me, and he wanted me to be the, his interpreter that when he is speaking I should speak in the Tonga language that people should understand so I worked close to this man this was new to me I was not a good interpreter because where I don't understand I would ask him and again tell the people so anyway people would sit and pay attention to listen the message. So, a uh, missionary came just uh, about three months uh, when I, I, I came to that area, after three months. And uh, this man, they wanted me to uh, interpret also to this missionary. God helped me. I don't know, maybe I was sort of diluting his message because I could not understand his English very well, but I was able to uh, tell the people uh, the message. But uh, just after that time, this missionary continued coming to the area, discipling people once or uh, two times in a month. And God helped us very well. That was the time when God, you know, showed uh, His grace, His mess. Because when I was lost, you know, He found me. I was blind, yes, He gave me sight. I started understanding things different. I started uh, thinking, uh, you know, having that love in my heart for the people and my mother and father, my brother because that was a different village about seven hours drive to my father's village so 
This missionary came uh, every month. I was working for the mine. At the place of work, these people trusted me, and they, they wanted no. They wanted me to. Uh, they gave me another uh, position to be a supervisor at work. And uh, it was in the village, you know, and not your, your, your positions at work. No, some, just maybe you are looking after your friends, but uh, just in the village. But they trusted me. They were Indians. They would go and uh, light candles in the in their houses and uh, pray there. And uh, most of the time, just because I wanted their favor, I would just go have some time with them. But when I came to know the Lord Jesus as my Savior, I started telling them that I cannot be with them in their prayers I can, I, because I'm now a, I'm a Christian. So like, I started you know, living differently from uh, the way I used to live. And uh, when we were to, when this uh, missionary, the missionary I'm talking about is Mike McDaniel and his wife Rory. They had two children, uh, Carib and uh, Jordan. Because Joshua, at that time, was when I met them first, he was not born. Then he, uh, after. Uh, the second year, when they had the baby, Joshua, when they came, I was talking to Mike. Then he, I was trying to just make him understand in that area and he, how we lived just after the death of my, my daughter. Then Mike decided that I move from that village to go and live with him. Uh, work uh, for him in Livingston. He was leaving the city. So, you know, I, I just thanked God for that. Well, I just wanted to be well, with this my missionary. So he moved me. Yeah, we, he brought his truck. He was driving. He took me and my family, a big family. That time, I had uh, five children because the sixth one had now had died. With my five, my 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 four children, because I was living with four. The other one, the second born, was living with my in-laws, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, because I could not pay for all uh, these children in the school. So this uh, my in-laws wanted to help me. So he moved us to the city. He did not go in the compound or somewhere to look for a house for us to live, but just at his house. And my children, with that village mentality, we just went to live with this white man. So uh, Mike told me to just look in town the best school I could take my children. To choose a school where I could choose my, take my children. We went around because I was new in the city. So I went in the city and you know, looked for a school. They had good uniform, good uh, school. Because I didn't know to, uh, what to look you know, when looking for a good school. But uh, when I was asking for pe from people, they told me uh, one school which was very good. So that's where we took our children. In school, and Mike was paying for all my children in my school. And the, the, his family doctor became our, you know, a doctor. We are not taking our children to a general hospital, the, the hospital in the in the city. No, we are talking to his doctor. He could pay for everything. He was just like my brother, a relative. 
So, uh, from that time, I was, you know, someone to work in the garden and do everything. But I didn't do most of the time all this because wherever Mike went, I was also there. You know, that man, he was very busy, you know, going out, teaching, discipling people out of the, the city to other towns and in the villages. So I started moving around with him, uh, interpreting and just uh, having time you know, to learn from what he was teaching. Uh, that's, uh, you know, just the love of God, you know, and uh, came to, you know, just know the, His love and His ways. God, you know, taught me many things. And just after a few weeks, Mike learned that I had another son because I had not told him that there was another child who was not living with us. So Mike advised me to say, no, you should let your son no, come live with you. Don't let other people you know, train your son. Why don't we go and bring our, your, your, your son to live with us? I said, yeah, yes. So he, he drove, two of us went to the village, very far. And he looked for his son. When I went there, my son was not, was not with my in-laws. He was not living with my, my mother and father-in-law. He was living with his aunt, the sister to my wife. Well, they didn't tell me about that anyway. Because they know, I knew it was not necessary. So we went, we drove again to another village. That's where we got uh, that boy and we brought him to Livingstone. Anyway, uh, that is not the story that I want. I just wanted you to let you know how I uh, met God. God touched my life. And just after a short time, Mike returned home to uh, America and we remained there. Uh, at, at the Baptist Mission uh, uh, property, I was just you know, a caretaker there. Then, um, you know, I started uh, thinking because I could not go out in the village and uh, teach. Now I could just go to a church, sit, because I started the church near, in Livingston, another compound where I was preaching. But uh, that was not enough for me. And I was not interested anymore for the job that I was doing because there was no, uh, no other missionary who came to live with us. And so I was just there as a watchman looking, uh, guiding, guarding the, uh, the mission property there. I wanted to, to go back to the village to tell people about God and to go back to my mother and father to tell them about uh, the love of God. So we were, I went to the village with my son. I, I told my mother and my father, but they thought maybe that was the other beliefs because they have, we have heard about such beliefs, the city people and that God, and telling me if you play with the gods, they will kill you. Uh, don't do that. My mother was demon-possessed. I don't know if you understand what it means. She had demons, and she knew it. Because we would not call demons, but spirits. She knew it. And this spirit would tell her to eat certain and don't eat certain foods. Maybe she's preparing to go on a journey. If the spirits tell her, don't go, she cannot go. She is ready to go, she cannot go. Uh, she was to, taught to eat or offer uh, the brown chicken, not black, not white chicken, to the gods. And she, would, she was a herbalist, I don't know, 
treating people using the herbs. And my father didn't know God. That's how we were brought. We are not going to the clinic. My mother would look for the herbs to treat us. So, I was supposed to be one offering, when I grew up, offering sacrifices to Kambanje, our great-grandfather who died a long time ago, to protect our children. I was supposed to be the one to stand in between of our people and the spirits for the rains in to offer sacrifices. So when I went back to the village, my father was trying to blame me for that. And he tried to, you know, I'm not saying my father didn't like me. He had all the love. My mother loved me. I loved them. Son and uh, mother love. Father and son love. So, I, I, was, I did not maybe just went there and said, no, what you are telling me is not. I tried to reason with them. Because I played before, I was praying before I went to the village. But uh, they could not understand that. I went back to the city. Then that's what made me to move from the town to go to the village. As I talk now, I'm the church planter and the overseer of the 47 churches that I've planted. From the Kariba, with the Tonga people, going to Siavonga, it's a very big area. Uh, we started with one church under the tree. Our churches start under the tree. Our churches, people can meet even without walls. Our churches well, don't look for iron sheets because God, you know, our houses, no, we don't roof our houses with iron sheets in the village. We go and get grass and make churches. And the churches I'm talking about, they are not very big like this and many people like that. Maybe the maximum of 200 people. And people, um, you know, God, they have just come to understand that no, God can save. You know, demons are real. If I teach, I preach, I can see people misbehave somehow. And they can, they can be restless and want to go outside because Satan don't, doesn't want them to listen to the message. And I've seen this. And I've come to know what it means. People are sitting like that. I preach, teach, people fall to the ground. Misbehave roaring on the, on, the, on the, you know, we don't have good floors like this. It's just dust. They don't know. But we pray for them. Demons will speak out. I was just quoting, you know, the, uh, Mark chapter 1, this man, the demon, the demon possessed, said, what do you want to... You know, they can speak out. That is exactly what is happening. And people didn't know about this. And some people, when they heard what happens to the church, you know, the devil didn't want them to come and be embarrassed like that. I used to tell people that it's not an embarrassment. Because God loves you. He wants to save you. You are, have different customs, different culture. But uh, what I know is that God works differently in the people and is there saving people. He saved you from your old life the way you see. And God He's touching people there. I did not go to any other Bible school. Mike was my teacher. 
And I graduated from his school. He was teaching. And he, all what I tell people, what I teach people is what I know. And this time I'm working with 75 men, preachers, who are teachers. And because every month we, we meet for uh, 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 leadership or meetings, training, uh, we call it discipleship. So every month, because I cannot meet them at one place, we don't have a school. And they don't come to our school. We go to them. Because we have divided our area in zones. Four zones. So we, every week I go to a zone. From uh, Thursday to Sunday. I'll be in that area. I, don't, I just be with my, my family from Monday to Wednesday. I, every week I go in one zone. The preachers come together and I... The other week I go to preach, preachers come together, we teach and we learn. What I know is what I tell them and that is what I know. And most of, some of them have no good teachers than I am. Good preachers, they have become good preachers. The men who were tied up in this demon oppression or these spirits, they are ministering among their own tribes, tribesmen, knowing what, he, what, he, what the Bible says and looking at back to their culture, to their customs, to say, no, this is wrong, this is wrong. What does the Bible say? And, you know, God has touched many lives. My mother is now a Christian. My father is now a Christian. My mother had a cup a white cup and uh, a white plate she, she was given from uh, the, the witch doctor who tried to help her when she got sick and became a doctor herself now. People believe that when, you know, they have this spirit, it's a gift from God because, what can I say, because God wanted me to be like this. That's their beliefs. They believe that, you know, it's everything here is the work of, of God. But I don't know which God they they, they, talk, they talk about. So, mother uh, was you no know, treating people and people to give her money. And that money, she was taking us to school. Thinking, you know, it was a blessing from God. But this time, when she became a Christian, the crawlers used to put on for, you know, when she was praying to the spirits, everything she was using, she destroyed them. And I banned everything. Because my mother became a Christian before my father became a Christian. I had called her to the city. And she attended church. Because I don't live in the village where my mother comes. I live in another village. About five hours when it's driving if you go. I have to go with uh, lifts, because some people have uh, you know, trucks, they take people for lifts. So, uh, there is a church in my mother's village that we started there. And another man is a preacher there, a Baptist church. So, my mother is a Christian, and my father is a Christian. God touched their lives. And they can not worship to this spirit, they worship to God this time. So, uh, I, sorry if I'm um, wasting your time, but uh, you know what God has, you know, done for me. I know I cannot tell it all, but uh, I I'm able even this time. I'm not nervous to stand in, in front of you. Only that maybe I cannot express myself very well in the, this language, but. Uh, uh, I'm even able to call believers like you as brothers and sisters, some of my spiritual parents, just because the God we serve is one and a loving Father. He touched my life.
Actually, actually, one Friday to sing a song. If our ushers can come at this time, prepare for a time of giving and worship. I want him to sing our offertory, if you will, of a song that he's written uh, in his limited English uh, just to express his love for God. And uh, so I'll come back up and close this after that. But Friday, why don't you share this? Uh, he has uh, an accordion that has been handed, given down to him, and he couldn't bring it with him, so we've borrowed this one. But uh, So he's a pastor, musician, all rolled up in one. Why don't you share this song with, with us? Uh, thank you. You know, I, wherever I go, I go with an accordion because I, uh, when I, we are planting churches, if I carry this thing, it's a new thing to the people and they want to see it and they will come even if they don't want Jesus. When they come, they will listen to me and they'll have the opportunity to share the gospel even if they don't want to listen because they will pay attention. And by doing that, a lot of people have come. Have, you know, God has helped me to bring people uh, close to me and they will listen to the uh, gospel. I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not a good singer like the beautiful music which was there, but uh, I can sing to the glory of God in, with my bad voice. I think God likes it. Never be the same again. I won't be the same again. From the moment I met Jesus, new life for me began. And I won't be the same. Never the same again. I remember of the day when he laid me by the hand. He pointed to the cross and said, My son, believe. I laid down all my burdens. And took him as my savior, and I won't be the same, never the same again. Never be the same again. I won't be the same again. From the moment I made Jesus, new life for me began, and I will be the same, never the same again. I'm moving up to heaven, I know I'm going there, our crown is waiting for me. A crown of eternal life. Hallelujah, I am saved. Hallelujah, I'm redeemed. And I won't be the same. Never the same again. Never be the same again. I won't be the same again. From that moment I made Jesus, new love for me began. And I won't be the same, never the same again. Hallelujah, I am saved. Hallelujah, I'm redeemed. I'm set apart for Jesus. I'll save him to the end. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, praise his name. And I won't be the same. Never the same again. Never be the same again. I won't be the same again. 
from the moment I met Jesus, new life for me began, and I won't be the same. Never the same again. Never, never, never. Never be the same again. Hallelujah. I won't be the same again. Praise the Lord. From that moment I met Jesus, new love for me began, and I won't be the same. Never the same again.